Yeah. See, it doesn't have the twang yet. You, you definitely, uh, McConaughey is definitely Texan, but uh, he, he's going to work on it. All right, so jumping into not the second commandment. Uh, I want to invite you today to the most dangerous place on earth. I want to invite you to a place of utter danger, wildness, risks, threats, and possible peril. It is not a place for the weak of heart, and it is not a place for the lazy or apathetic, because to venture into the most dangerous place with those attitudes will mean certain ruin. The feeling you get from being in the most dangerous place on earth is not the same as riding a scary roller coaster, where it's only the idea of terror that scares you. No, at the most dangerous place on earth, the possibilities for danger are certain. They are real. It is not, the most dangerous place on earth is not like stepping onto the American Eagle, the, the ride at Great America. It's more like Frodo starting to climb up Mordor. This is dangerous, and there is definitely opportunity for danger. The danger is real. The possibilities for what could happen can go either way. And so I invite you to join me this morning at the most dangerous place on earth. And the choice is yours whether you will venture there and take up the challenge to conquer it. I hope that you will because I would hate that for you to have to live with the idea of knowing that you could have come out the victor in such a place but that you didn't go because you chickened out. The most dangerous place on earth. Are you ready to go there with me this morning? Now before you answer, I need you to tell you just a little bit more about the most dangerous place on earth, this terrifying place that we're going to journey into this morning. First off, it is a place of endless possibilities. This place can help your dreams and ambitions come true, or it can bring your life to utter devastation. In fact, it can bring both possibilities, not only to you, but also to your loved ones. And the honest truth is, because of this dangerous place that we're going to be venturing into, because of its existence, there is the possibility of nations crumbling or finding peace, of entire civilizations coming to prosperity or devastation. And that is not hyperbole. The most dangerous place on earth is a place of endless possibilities. The dangerous, most dangerous place on earth is also a place of ultimate truth about who you are. The most dangerous place on earth reveals who you are in blunt and brutal honesty. The true desires and motives of our hearts, whether they are pure or messed up, are exposed. The core of who we are, of what makes us, us, is revealed here. Not the, I'd like to be like this stuff. No, what is revealed in the most dangerous place on earth is who you really are. Because maybe the fact that such honesty about who we are is so clear is why this is such a dangerous place. 
It is a place of ultimate truth about who we are. The most dangerous place on earth is also a place of both good and evil. There's just no guarantee about whether it will bring one or the other. In all honesty, the only guarantee is that there will be good or there will be evil. You just don't really know which one is going to happen. It could go either way. And finally, the most dangerous place on earth is, where it is a place where if conquered, life is obtained. When the danger is conquered, when the possibilities of life, then the possibilities of life are open and are endless. Not just shallow life with its stumblings and its struggles, but life under control with possibilities, less problems, more focus, and full meaning. The most dangerous place on earth is a place that if you could conquer it, defeat it, master it, then you would have control over your life. No more slip-ups, no more easy mistakes or fumbles. To face it and conquer it, the gain is unexplainable. The most dangerous place is a place where true life is obtained. And so I invite you this morning to the most dangerous place on earth, a place of endless possibilities, of ultimate truth about who you are, of good and evil, and a place where true life is obtained. But let me say it again and again and again. It is the most dangerous place on earth. There is no need for directions. There's no need to pack anything to go. And we can arrive there in the blink of an eye. There isn't any need to worry if we'll all fit in the place or anything like that because what you'll see is that each one of us has our own personal most dangerous place on earth. It only takes up about one inch by three inches of space. The most dangerous place on earth is your mouth. The place of your words, your speech, how we talk. This is the most dangerous place on earth. Nathaniel Hawthorne said, Words, so innocent and powerless are they, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them. The tongue has the power of life and death, it says in Proverbs, and those who love it will eat its fruits. It also says in Proverbs, an evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes such troubles. The mouth, the tongue, a place of endless possibilities, of ultimate truth about who we are, a place of both good and evil, and a place where true life is obtained. James chapter 3 actually unpacks the reality of this dangerous place for us. It tells us that the mouth is like a control center. It says in James chapter 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilots want to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small, spark, excuse me, small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Like a small bit can move an entire horse, our tongues 
can help navigate our, all of our life. To stop and think about what you're going to say, we are able to navigate our interactions and also even the impact of our words. To process what comes out of us, that's the huge thing though. Our words reveal what is going on inside. Anytime we say anything, it is a reflection of who we are. Anytime we say something about someone else, many times those are more of a commentary on who we are than the commentary we are offering about someone else. Our words reveal what is going on, our hurt and our fears, our confusions and our frustrations, our priorities and our joys. Our words reveal it all. What comes out of here reveals what's going on in here. Self-reflection is a skill we all would be better served to work on. If we can be honest to see the depth of what our words reveal, we can work on those things, allow God to heal and guide, and our whole lives are, can be set on the right track. Remember, the most dangerous place on earth is full of endless possibilities, the ultimate truth of who we are. And so we have to take control of it. James also tells us that the mouth is a place of great power. It says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on, on fire by hell. Our words do things, our words are actions, and they can do a lot. We can care for others or hurt others with our words. With our words, we can build up a community or we can tear it down. With our words, we can bring healing or we can cause pain. With our words, we can distill or provoke anger. With our words, we can bring or prevent troubles. We can promote wisdom or foolishness. All with our words. Proverbs 12 says, There, are there, there is one who rants like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise person is a healing. Proverbs 10 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Our words have an impact on people, on our friends, our family, our co-workers, our classmates, spouses, kids, neighbors, whoever it is that you're talking to, you will have an impact on them. And so we have to choose to allow our speech to be holy as he is holy. But that only happens when we are conscious of that fact. You may have that memory of that one person who spoke into your life, who affirmed you, who told you what they saw of you, who told you that they believed in you, and those words still can echo in your life and put the wind in your sails and keep you going. The words that were spoken to you. Or you may have that memory of someone who downed you, who's someone who's just word vomited a whole bunch of stuff on you, who would, that you wouldn't accomplish anything, who said all kinds of negatives, and those words still haunt you or hinder you to this day. They're words. You have the same power right here. Remember that this dangerous place has potential for good and for evil. What will you use your words for? 
James also tells us that the mouth requires constant intentionality and responsibility. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. And no human can tame the tongue, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce produce fresh water. It can't be both. Our words will not automatically do good. We have to intentionally avoid their danger. If you've ever written something, you have somebody edit what you've written. If you have a, want to have a conversation with somebody, many times you go over it with somebody else to hear their input. In both situations, what are we doing? But we're trying to remove the bad parts. We're trying to make things more focused, sharper, better, because we don't want junk to come out. Or in the way the Proverbs is, or the James is talking about, we want good to come out of our mouths, not poison. And so this is why we need to have a responsibility to tame the tongue, not just let it run rampant. That's why James says earlier, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If the tongue is able to set the whole course of life into destruction, if it can be a restless evil and full of poison, then we better move slowly in how we deal with it. Proverbs 21 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Remember, if this dangerous place is conquered, then life is obtained. The mouth is a control center, a place of great power, and something we have to be constantly intentional and responsible about. Now you hear about the danger of the mouth, this most dangerous place, the possibilities, and all I've said, and you might be thinking, I thought we were doing a series about the Ten Commandments. How, why in the world are we talking about all of this? Because all of this is at the depth of the Third Commandment. This is what the third commandment is getting it to. The third commandment tells us you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is serious, he says. You will not misuse my name. Now, typically this is taken that we should not use God's name flippantly or in a derogatory way we're really frustrated at something and it's oh or we're in traffic and we mutter gosh i'm not we have kids in the room so i'm not going to utter those ones but god's last name is not what we typically put right after it that's typically what we think of when we say these things and we should think about those things but it is also way more than that there god's name is directly related to his identity. It isn't just this name that's floating out there. It's connected to who he is. His identity 
what makes him God. God wants to be known. He tells Moses earlier in Exodus, I have raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He told Abraham earlier, in the beginning, toward the beginning of Genesis, all that, that, that his, this nation of Israel will bless the nations and all peoples on earth will be blessed through them. For God's name to be proclaimed, for his blessings to be passed on, people have to talk. People have to talk with other people. To mis- misuse God's name is to misrepresent his character. It is to misrepresent who he is. When we begin a new relationship with God, we take on a new identity. And so the third command is telling us how you talk had better reflect that new identity. What comes out of your mouth better reflect who you are in him. This is why the mouth is such a dangerous place. We make God known by how we talk. So does how we talk make him known accurately? Praise him? Or does it lead people to a skewed reality of who he is? We can misuse God's name in a lot of different ways. We misuse God's name with the words that we choose to use. Does the believer talk like everyone else in the group? Does the, the believer, the person, who, the person that goes to church, follows Jesus, the religion, however people think of you, do the words come out of your mouth match everyone else? Or is there something different about them? Ephesians tells us, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may bring, give grace to those who hear. Think about our office spaces, out with our friends, hanging out with others, and listen to this passage. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. If we are talking in such a way that it reflects more the culture that we're in and not the God we identify with, we are misusing the Lord's name because we, our life does not reflect the identity that we have in him. We misuse God's name with the words we choose to use. We misuse God's name by stating God is leading me when he really isn't. It's really easy to justify actions, decisions, or opinions with God has laid it on my heart or I prayed about it. All of the religious language that we use to justify something when God, had, when God actually hasn't done that. God will never have us do something contrary to him or his word. And sometimes, especially when there is conflict, when there is issues, we color up things with, I just feel like God is leading me. No, he's not. God would never have you remove yourself from a situation. He would have you move toward it to deal with it. And so we, we misuse God's name when we justify things that he actually has, doesn't lay down our hearts to do. 
If God was actually guiding you and leading you, he would be moving you toward people, not away from them. We misuse God's name by stating God is leading me when he actually isn't. We misuse God's name by treating it like a magic word. Prayer and saying in Jesus' name is not a religious incantation. Though sometimes we would treat it that way. But I prayed in Jesus' name, let this happen. But God is not a magic wand and prayer is not a magic wand that we can just say, boing, I need this. We trust his wisdom and we trust his provision. We trust his guidance. Prayer is helping us get in line with that, not using a magic word to get whatever we want. We misuse God's name when we commandeer it for political purposes. Neither political party is synonymous with the kingdom of God nor close to it. We defame the name of God when we equate him with politics or his character and equate it with one, one political way of life. And when we're called out for that and we say, well, that's just somebody's opinions, no, it's called faithfulness to who God is. We as a people of God have to be brought back to the reality that the kingdom of God is not this world. And when we talk about that, if that makes somebody uncomfortable, then they need to be brought back to the Lord and not lose that as an excuse of differing opinions. Sanctification and holiness is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of faithfulness. And we cannot commandeer what our faith is and how we go about things in the way our culture does, which is to tack faith onto politics when they are not the same thing. We misuse God's name when our words tarnish his reputation. We have to talk. You have to speak. So do your words reflect him? Do they reflect his heart? Do they reflect his character? Jesus tells his followers, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's impossible to do that without talking. When we begin a new relationship with God, we take on the new identity so our words better proclaim him with every word that we say. The mouth is indeed a dangerous place, a place of endless possibilities, a place of ultimate truth about who we are, a place of good and evil, a place where true life is obtained. What is your mouth doing? Is it moving toward the goodness of God and holiness and sharing the blessings and the character of who he is? Or is it doing the opposite? Jesus said in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And you know what? It's really easy when we hear that and we read that to start thinking about other people and what they've said and how they've commented or how they've reacted or how they've posted or what they've articulated. We need to think about ourselves. Does what we say, does how we say it, Maybe even what do we avoid saying? Does it reflect the goodness of God, the heart of God, the truth of who God is? 
Because we, we will be held accounted for that. We have to be mindful of who we are. We have to be responsible for what comes out of here. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalms, Psalm 141 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Man, if there was ever a verse to memorize in light of the third commandment, that we would not misuse God's name, it's this verse in Psalm. In fact, I want to challenge you. Maybe you need to write this one down and hang it up somewhere in the house. Maybe put it in your car or on your desk or whatever that looks like for you. But this is one that we need to put inside. This is one we need to be reminded of. This is the prayer that should become a regular prayer. God, set a, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What do you need to do with your words this week? Maybe you need to encourage somebody. Maybe you need to be open with somebody. Maybe the most powerful thing that you can do with your words this week is to say to somebody, I love you. And I just want you to make sure that you know that. Maybe the most powerful thing that you can do with your words this week is to say to somebody, I'm grateful for you. And I just want you to know that. Maybe the most powerful thing that you can do with your words this week is to say to somebody, I'm sorry. And just leave it with that. No buts or anything, just I'm sorry. Maybe the most powerful thing you can say is nothing. And listen. And allow somebody else's powerful words to speak into your life. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let me not misuse your name. Let me proclaim it. We're going to end this by receiving communion. If you're at home with us and you want to grab elements, um, if you're here with us, we have our... um, portable communion set up here. We always take a moment of just quiet prayer reflection before we receive communion to be reminded of the reality of who God is and who we are in him. Uh, To be reminded of what he's done for us at the cross and in the resurrection. To be reminded of our identity in him. Yeah, and if you don't have communion elements, if you just raise your hand, uh, Alexander will bring uh, those over to you. If you're with us here for the first time, uh, doing this, uh, there's two flaps. Pull the clear one off first, get the cracker out, and then when, you're, when we go to do communion, pull the other one. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John describes Jesus as the word, the speech, the talk of God. And our words need to reflect the word. And so let's go before him and be in prayer.
Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need to be grateful to God for something. Maybe you need to ask God to speak into how you use your words. Maybe you just need to be quiet for a moment here and just listen. But we'll be quiet for a moment and then we'll receive communion together. So God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, God, you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us courage to be vulnerable and to hear what you have to say. Let's be quiet before him. If you're in here in the sanctuary, would you stand with me? And if you're home, you want to stand too? That's great. We come to communion is in a moment of amazing worship to be in the presence of God, to be reminded of Jesus' broken body in our place, his shed blood for us. That it's not anything that we do that gives us a relationship with God. It's everything that he's done. So we acknowledge his work on the cross. We acknowledge his conquering sin and death and the resurrection. We acknowledge the life that he has. And so if you've never trusted Jesus with your life, if you've never trusted everything he's done, you don't need to do communion. You need to let this moment be a moment of surrender. God, I need you. God, I need forgiveness. God, I want a new identity in you. If you have put your trust in Jesus, this is a reminder to of who you are, a reminder of what your identity is. So God, we come before you grateful for all that you've done. We're grateful for the cross, grateful for your broken body, your shed blood. We're grateful, God, for the empty tomb, that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, that you had invited us into a new life. We're thankful, God, that we are your children, that we are part of your family that we have a new identity with hope and purpose and joy all in you and because of you. So let our words reflect that. Burden us, God, with how to proclaim you and make you known. Share your love and encourage others within it. We are grateful for who you are and we're grateful for who we are in you. Let's receive communion together. We're grateful for your broken body, Jesus, and your shed blood, the cross and the empty tomb, and new life. In your name, amen. If you're with us here in the sanctuary, just hold on to these, and there's a garbage can. You can drop them off in on the way back. The song that we're going to be ending with is just a, a beautiful moment of prayer. Uh, it's a song, I see it as a, 
a worship song that's just about communal with God. And so let that be what this is, of communicating to him your need for him, of communicating, allowing him to communicate the truth of who you are in him back to you. Let's praise him together.